0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BTW, Void Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: My guest this week is the Labour Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham. Andy, thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. It's good to be with you. Thank you. So I'd I'd like to start this interview by asking you about policing in Greater Manchester. Now, it's it's been well known that Greater Manchester Police, the second largest police force in the country, has been effectively placed into special measures. How has the force ended up in this position? It's
2: complicated.
0: Um, There's a
2: range of reasons, to be honest. Um, Going back to 2010, Greater Manchester Police suffered some of the biggest cuts of any police force in the country. So around 2,000 police officers were lost. Um, then if you kind of move it forward into the more recent times, you'll remember the uh, attack at the Manchester Arena, uh, uh, a, an event that had a traumatic effect on the whole city region, but also on our police force, of course. So you had a severely weakened police force that was struggling with the cuts and then was kind of hit by um, you know everything that that entailed. Um, but having said that, there are some things that Greater Manchester Police itself has not done right. It's mm-hmm. um, had a problematic uh, in- internal culture, which I've spoken mm-hmm. about. It didn't handle some of the cuts well. It, it took a lot of resources out of local communities and centralised them, and in the end, that hasn't led to the right level of service to the public. So there are complicated reasons as to why Greater Manchester Police has ended up where it has, but we have been doing uh, what we need to do to repair the damage. So the last uh, few years now, I've been recruiting extra police officers. So we've been repairing mm-hmm. the front line and we now have new leadership uh, through our new chief constable and he is setting a new direction for Greater Manchester Police. So it's definitely been a challenging time. Nobody uh, would would uh, deny that. Uh, but I think there is now a sense that Greater Manchester Police has a, has a forward path that will help it address some of the challenges.
0: Mm-hmm. So as the political and publicly accountable face of the force, the, we know that the role of the mayor of Greater Manchester also assumes the role of police and crime commissioner when the office was created. So given that you essentially hold that position as well as being mayor, are you are you embarrassed about the fact that the force is in this position?
2: Nobody wants to see a police force of this size in this mm. position. Of course we don't, uh, and we take it very seriously, but it's, it's my job to to hold them to account. So, as I've always said, I don't run Greater Manchester Police. I don't prioritize the day-to-day decisions um, or, or indeed the resources. That That, that is a, an independent decision of the of the police. My job is to hold them to account for those decisions. Mm-hmm. and to call them out when things go wrong. So, all, all I can do is do my job. And my mm-hmm. job is to say, when things are not good enough, uh, things have got to change. And the biggest power that I've got to make change is the appointment of a new chief constable. And I used that power in late 2020, I brought in new leadership. Uh, and as a result of that, Greater Manchester Police is now on a, on a new path. So um, that's, that's all I can do. I can only be responsible for what I can actually be responsible for. My, my job is to have the right leadership in Greater Manchester Police. I think I've got that now. Uh, and you know we will we will obviously all of us be held to account from what happens uh, here on in.
0: So you, you mentioned that you think you now have the right leadership in the force. Was the previous chief constable not right for the job?
2: Well, he um, uh, oversaw, as I say, a very difficult period um, in terms of major cuts. And let's be clear, I need to say this again: major cuts to the country's second biggest police force, some two thousand officers taken out the front line. I, I, I don't, I don't care what anyone says, that is going to have an impact on uh, on frontline policing and the service that can be provided to communities. You can't take that number of police officers off the of streets of a city region like Greater Manchester and it not have an impact uh, on, on what that force can do. And then when you add those extra major events that the force had to deal with, it, it, it all amounted to an exceptionally challenging time. That said, the implementation of the cuts could have been different. As I said, I think too much resource was taken out of local communities and out mm-hmm. of the 10 districts of Greater Manchester. And uh, also, um, I think that the way in which police officers were asked to police by attending every single type of crime is was also a problem because uh, you know, the, the police officers were, were, I think, overstretched at the front mm-hmm. line. And uh, that, that is something that the, uh, the, the leadership could have done differently. So there's a complex set of reasons as to why we've ended up where we have. Um, but I do believe, personally, the, um, the primary reason is a massive uh, uh, government programme of cuts that uh, has hit us harder than other cities. Why? Because we are more dependent on central government grants here than other parts of England, because the council tax base of Greater Manchester is is smaller, and consequently we are more reliant on those, those grants from, from central government. Consequently, the cuts to that grant had a bigger impact in Greater Manchester than elsewhere.
0: So the, the government at the moment, it's been very largely publicised that they are recruiting an additional 20,000 police officers. That's a, a national programme, and I'm sure Greater Manchester will receive a large number of this. But it, is this enough of a commitment from the government? Uh, the, the previous administration under Theresa May started recruiting officers, but this current administration is taking that even further. So in addition to what you are doing, is, is this support enough?
2: No. Uh, So if I go back to the time when when I was in the cabinet and Labour was in government, we had uh, 2,000 more police officers on the streets of Greater Manchester than we had when I came in as mayor. So we we lost a massive amount of policing uh, resource in that period between Mm -hmm. 2010 and 2017. Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, we didn't get any help from the government between 2017 and around 2020. We took the decision ourselves here to raise the council tax uh, to recruit extra police officers. Uh, And so we've been doing that uh, over the last few years and there are uh, getting on for 700 more police officers in Greater Manchester today because of the decisions we have taken in this city, not because of what the government has done. Now the government is belatedly coming in saying, it's going to put some more funding in uh, to help recruitment. Okay, well that is a good thing. It will help us recruit 300 more this year, So if you add the 700 we've already recruited Mm -hmm. and the 300 more that are coming, that's still only 1,000 back Mm -hmm. of the 2,000 that we lost uh, uh, going back to 2010. So no, to answer your question, it's not enough. Uh, And as a result, crime has been rising in different parts of the country. The police have been cut too far, and that Mm -hmm. that is something I lay absolutely at the government's door.
0: Well, One of the biggest issues currently facing the force at the moment is the uh, multi-million pound computer network known as IOPS, which has been reported has failed to record over 80,000 crimes and hidden over 5,000 pieces of evidence. So what what's being done to rectify this issue within the force? Well, no, I think you've
2: oversimplified that. You've, you've confused two things there. There was okay. a report from the HMIC mm-hmm. that was looking more broadly at the recording of crime and support for victims, mm-hmm. which found that in a period of three months last year, mm-hmm. 2020, if the rate at which crimes were being recorded in that period was mm-hmm. replicated over the whole year, then that 80,000 figure would be the underreporting of crime. Mm-hmm. But bear in mind that period they looked at was April to June 2020, which is obviously not mm-hmm. a normal time when it comes to uh, to policing because it was the early days of the first lockdown and the, mm-hmm. and the pandemic. However, I'm not, not backing away from that. That was a very serious... Finding, but it can't all be laid at the door mm-hmm. of the uh, of the computer system. It may have had a, a you know a contributory role, but I, I think it's to conflate two issues which are not the same.
0: Uh, to, to sort of move, move away from that, there seems to be a an apparent rise in knife crime in Manchester and some of the surrounding boroughs. Now, is is this a trend that we're starting to see migrating from London after there have been major issues within the, the metropolitan police and uh, in Creating strategy from the London Mayor's Office in handling this issue?
2: Um, I think it's hard to to say that there's a a trend based on what's been happening uh, in in London. I think there's an issue with with knife crime and youth related uh, violence, but I don't think it's it's as, I wouldn't want to get into the business of saying, oh, it's all a a major trend and to to whip up the, the headlines about that. There are challenges in some of our communities, definitely. Getting away from that, but I don't buy the sort of you know it's all awful and it's all terrible and young people are to be feared. I don't I don't buy into that narrative. To be honest with you, I think there are definite challenges and we're not complacent about them. And we use all of the, the tactics at our disposal to, to to deal with them. We are currently running a number of community-led pilots on tackling youth-related uh, uh, violence uh, at the moment, where we are kind of trusting our communities to. to Work with us and provide the information uh, to to support some of those initiatives. Uh, but I don't buy the, the the narrative that says it's all out of control and um, and as I say, young young people are running riot through through communities yeah. with knives. That is not the case.
0: So you, you mentioned some of these schemes that you've been promoting to decrease the rate of youth crime in this. So what what do you propose as a a solution? We know it, we know it's not a, an easy fix. The the wider trend of knife crime. But what do you propose? as a solution to this, particularly around the Greater Manchester area?
2: Well, there are obviously Mm -hmm. simple uh, solutions that go back to what we were just talking Mm -hmm. about, which is more police on the streets. Mm -hmm. I've proposed a named police officer, named police community support officer for every ward in Greater Manchester to strengthen the relationship between the police and local communities, Mm -hmm. so that people who know who to go Mm -hmm. to if they have some intelligence that they want to hand over uh, to the police. So that's one thing that we've we've done. We've proposed um, the, the possibility of more school-based police, although that has a different uh, reaction in, in certain uh, of our communities. So that's only something we would do with consent, but that is another potential uh, option here. Uh, but I would rather look at the, the positive things that need uh, to be done. I don't go down the line of stigmatizing communities saying that, you know, they, they just need more police and more stop and search. That is part of it, but much more. Let's get into the business of talking about empowering communities um, with more opportunity, mm-hmm. um, particularly more opportunity for young people. The cuts to youth services mm-hmm. over the last decade have had a big part to play, in my view, in the uh, the rises in, in youth-related crime in, in certain parts of the country, Uh, And it's why here in Greater Manchester, we are laying great emphasis on the support Mm -hmm. that we need to provide to all of our young people, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in this period as we're helping them come back from from the pandemic. So I've introduced a a free bus pass for 16 to 18 year olds. Um, We are developing what we call a youth, a young person's guarantee, which is about uh, support with mental Mm -hmm. health, uh, support to get connected, from a transport point of view, also from a digital point of view, and um, the ability to, to, to access jobs, uh, apprenticeships and training. So there's a huge amount going on. And I would personally want to emphasise that positive input that we need to make mm-hmm. rather than constantly the, talking about young people through the prism mm-hmm. of crime.
0: OK, well, well let's, let's move away from policing. And let, I'd like to look at one of your flagship policies, which is the reduction of homelessness across the Greater Manchester Area. And particularly with the abed every night scheme. Now, when you first stood for election for the mayoralty in your manifesto, you said you wanted to end rough sleeping by 2020. Now, we're more than halfway through 2021 and we've, we've not quite hit that target. So, do you think maybe that was a tad too ambitious?
2: Not at all. In fact, the government copied it because they then said everyone in, which was based on what we, we were doing. And I think it is absolutely the, 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 only ambition to have, to mm-hmm. say that any level of rough sleeping is acceptable is mm-hmm. wrong. Mm, and nice. yeah, yeah, okay, politicians can mm-hmm. be held to account for their for their statements. Have they gone far mm-hmm. enough? Have they not? But I'm absolutely proud of the, the, the distance we've traveled since 2017, when we had a, a growing crisis on our streets, a uh, mm-hmm. huge number of people sleeping rough. Um, we've got it right down to, to low double figures uh, last year, uh, particularly as the, the Everyone In initiative kicked, kicked in. Um, and we are continuing to maintain a, a much lower level of, of, of rough sleeping. Well, of course, we're not entirely in control of all of the variables here. You know, the changes that government makes to national policy can, can, reduce, uh, can actually put more people uh, out on the streets. All we have is an ongoing commitment to do whatever we can to support people and provide, as you said, a bed every night. And tonight in Greater Manchester, there will be over 600 people supported in our a bed every night scheme. And we work really hard uh, to fund that. Uh, And yeah, we will continue to work to the point where nobody needs to sleep rough. In fact, we are at that point now. Uh, Occasionally some people will come new onto the streets. It's hard to get to know them. We have to build a relationship with them. So there will always be to some extent uh, some people um, who are, who are sleeping uh, outside, but what I can say for certain is that we we always make an offer to people because of the infrastructure that we've built.
0: You have you have mentioned that the homeless rates have come down and it's an excellent scheme that's been introduced here. But I just want to touch briefly on some of the causes around homelessness. So I suppose wanted to ask how strong you think the correlation is between homelessness and, and drug use. You know, drug use has been quite high recently in the area. And I suppose particularly I wanted to touch on the idea around these so-called legal highs. How strong is the relationship between homelessness and drug use?
2: Well, you're almost positioning that as though it's a cause of homelessness. Oh, no, um, I
0: don't intend to do that at all. I'm just wondering if there is some sort of correlation between the two. To the extent
2: that people who are sleeping rough have experienced some form of trauma uh, in their life and then will seek things that lessen that trauma, Mm. I guess that is the, 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 the link. Mm-hmm. Um if anybody was forced to sleep on the streets, they will uh, would seek things that would yeah. I think lessen the pain or would take them away from from that mm-hmm. appalling reality so there is a there is a connection, but it 's not a causal connection it 's mm-hmm. not usually the the drink or drugs that creates homelessness it 's mm-hmm. um, the breakdown of a relationship, a bereavement, um, some form of abuse in a, in a family. Uh, setting, uh, rejection of some kind mm-hmm. uh, or young people who've been in care without the support that they need, leaving care and not having mm-hmm. ongoing support. So the reasons for homelessness are, are complex mm-hmm. and in many ways the, 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 the drink and drugs will c- come in later uh, as a way of people managing the, mm-hmm. the, the pain that they're, that, they're, that they're dealing with. So it's why we've um, piloted a scheme here in Greater Manchester called Housing First which is a a new way of looking at supporting people who have experienced rough sleeping. It's a pilot scheme that we're running with the government uh, Mm -hmm. where people are given a home, but then given intensive personal support, particularly Mm -hmm. focused on their mental health and addiction issues. And the great news from Greater Manchester is that it's working. Um, Mm -hmm. Around 200 plus people have been supported through Housing First, and 90% of those people are sustaining their tenancies. Because they're getting the support that they need to sustain their, their housing position. Uh, so, you know, we are, we are confident that um, with the right approach and the right support, you can turn around um, uh, homelessness and rough sleeping, but it's a, a long, a long uh, road.
0: Well, uh, housing is uh, such a key aspect to this, and it's also a huge part of uh, of your brief as as the mayor. So with that, I wanted to t- touch on some of the plans you have around housing. Now, initially, it was called the Greater Manchester Spatial Framework, but it, a new plan has been introduced called Places for Everyone. So how, how does the new plan differ to the, the previous one?
2: Uh, it differs in that... Um... It involves nine of our boroughs rather than ten, which was the original plan uh, involved. So Stockport have decided to step outside of, of the plan, but it, it differs in another way in that it involves a massive reduction in the green belt take than we had in the original Greater Manchester Spatial Framework. Uh, so it's been reduced by about 60% on the latest on the latest iteration. It's more focused on towns and building more homes in town centres. Uh, closer to public transport so building for public transport rather than building for the car which i think is what the original plan mm-hmm. did uh, did too much of so it's a very different uh, plan the truth of the matter is we need more homes we have a housing crisis they have to go somewhere that is always going to be controversial to some degree but the latest version of the plan i hope is more palatable to people because it is making much greater use of brownfield sites across greater manchester than the original greater manchester spatial framework
0: as you mentioned, of course, that it, it does take into account a, a much greater aspect of the Greenbelt. And there, ha- there have been a number of concerns raised by councillors and local campaigners around this. Uh, but th- there are a lot of brownfield sites across Greater Manchester. So uh, are the majority of these sites being uh, preferred to over the Greenbelt, or are developers planning on uh, trying to focus on Greenbelt's land because it is readily available?
2: Well, they, they try to, but we're, we're obviously trying to, to move them uh, away from that. And that's why we've removed a lot of Greenbelt sites mm-hmm. from the from the plan. Uh, mm-hmm. A huge number, actually. Uh, and it's why we're also focusing on um, strategic investment in our town centres. Mm-hmm. So Stockport, for instance, has the country's first mayoral development corporation focused on a town centre. Uh, so all of the area beneath the famous railway arches in Stockport, uh, has been zoned for residential development, the building of around 3,500 new homes. It's a completely new approach uh, to, um, to to town centre regeneration, converting some of the old employment space or the old uh, retail space into space for residential uh, development. And we think by encouraging more people to live in places like Stockport, in the end it will revive the um, the, the the shops and the um, and and the Uh, the cafes, the bars, the restaurants, all of that stuff will will come as well. So it's a new approach to rethinking the way our towns work. And I'm looking at adopting a similar approach in places like Middleton and other parts of of Greater Manchester, towns that that need uh, new life brought into them.
0: Well, well, as part of the regeneration of towns, uh, transport infrastructure is a key part of that. And as part of your re-election for... Uh, this year's uh, election for the, the mayor of Greater Manchester position. You announced that you wanted to move Greater Manchester's transport network to a, a, a London-based model, which, which would uh, see the, the buses come into public ownership, but as, I suppose really what I wanted to get at is that Ma- Manchester is a, a different city to London. It's a smaller city, it's not as spread out, so does Manchester really need a, a London-style transport system? Yes.
2: It needs a transport system where people can tap in, tap out in the same way that they can in London rather than go on a bus, pay the bus fare and then find that the bus ticket you bought can't be used on a different bus operator because it's run Mm -hmm. by a different company. Or finding that if you go on the tram after being on the bus, you're you're paying as a new customer and it's not taking account of all of the money that you've already spent. Mm -hmm. That is what I mean by a London style system where you tap in, tap out. Um, where there is a cap on what you can spend on any given day, no matter how many buses or trams that you use. And to be honest with you, that would be a complete game changer for Greater Manchester, a transport system of that kind. Because at the moment, if you try and use our transport system, as people do in London, where they catch buses and tubes and all all the rest of it any given day, you would spend a lot, lot more money here than you would um, in, in London. And that is not fair. Why should public transport be more expensive? in some of the less affluent parts of the country. It can cost over £4 uh, mm-hmm. for a single bus ticket in Harper Hay, Greater Manchester, when it's only £1.55 in Harringay, London. Mm-hmm. Can anyone justify that to me? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the government's promised to level up the country. I, I would say to the government, mm-hmm. start here in Greater Manchester, give us a London-style public transport system mm-hmm. and London-level fares, that, that would be meaningful mm-hmm. To the people here, because it would better connect people to uh, jobs, um, training, and and wider opportunities if they could more freely and affordably travel around this great city region.
0: So, but the the system that London has for its transport infrastructure it's it's a very expensive system and throughout the the pandemic it's had a a number of it's run into a number of financial difficulties even before the pandemic as well there were some issues and tfl has received its third bailout in just under a year so is this actually a financially viable measure for greater manchester
2: london's had subsidies for decades that we have never had Mm. so we were promised uh, in the 1980s by margaret thatcher that if we went to a completely Mm -hmm a uh, free commercial free-for-all model on buses that the fares would get lower there'd be more routes and it would all be marvelous and the opposite is, is what's happened we've seen a collapse in the number of passengers using buses ticket prices have have gone up by you know, hundreds of percent increases uh, we've seen the cuts to services in some of our more isolated areas um, we, we we want the right to run our transport system with the same, proportionate level of subsidy that London has always had. I can't make any comment about the way TfL has run its finances. All I can say to you is we run the trams in Greater Manchester with no public subsidy at all, whereas the tubes get a major public subsidy. And we, we run our tram system um, and we make it we make it add up. And, and I'm saying that I think people here in Greater Manchester deserve bus fares at £1. £1.55 a journey compared to £3, £4 or more. So, you know, it's, it's, it's about asking for, for fairness, to be honest. Um, London has always had a regulated public transport system. Cities outside of London were, were given this deregulation experiment and it's not worked. And uh, my argument is we, we deserve exactly the same as what London has
0: always had. So do you think this is a, a matter that needs to be ex, extended almost from uh, central government to increase the level of devolution to the regions
2: definitely mm-hmm. i think all all city regions need the ability mm-hmm. to re-regulate their buses as we have mm-hmm. chosen to do here so we are choosing to bring buses back under mm-hmm. public control so that we can integrate them with our trams and create a single ticketing system over mm-hmm. buses and trams and that's what i'm focused on as the, the top priority in my second mayoral term but you know mm-hmm. you shouldn't have to have a mayor like like me or Andy Street in Birmingham or Steve Roller in Liverpool to be able to do that. All cities should be able Mm -hmm. to re-regulate their their buses. All cities in my view should have public subsidy for public transport Mm -hmm. in the same way that cities around the world have. England is almost unique in forcing this commercial model on on cities Mm -hmm. that simply doesn't work. It just leads to higher ticket prices and uh, poorer quality public transport as we've experienced here in Greater Manchester.
0: I do totally agree with you about the need for more devolution. I think it's only right that lo- local leaders know the needs of their local communities best, m- much better than central government. So, uh, the model around the, the metro mayors, I suppose it, it was a, almost a, an experiment to some extent from the uh, David Cameron government. It was uh, George Osborne's idea essentially to create the idea of metro mayors. Do you think there need to be more positions like yours across the country? Yes, I, I think so.
2: Um, I think when the first mayor election happened here in Greater Manchester, people mm-hmm. were unsure about whether or not the position would bring benefits. But I think most people would agree, four years on, that mm-hmm. it's certainly given Greater Manchester a, a louder voice. Not just me, but myself working with the mm-hmm. with the ten other leaders. You know, we've we've got a kind of coherent uh, message that I think is getting better heard, and that's true in. Uh, Liverpool as I was saying through Steve Rotherham um, Andy Street in Birmingham you know, different party but he, he's mm. obviously trying to do the same there we now have a mayor of West Yorkshire um, Tracy Brabin first woman Metro mayor so the map is filling in but I would say you know carry on filling it in um, because all parts of England deserve the right to be able to do more for themselves and that's obviously what devolution is all about it's not just the mayor that gives the place a louder voice, which is important. It's also that ability to run more things uh, for for ourselves that that makes such a difference. And I referenced the work on homelessness before. Well, that was a decision. We took that decision to prioritize homelessness and we've made a difference. Or we took a decision to prioritize young people with a free bus pass. That was our decision here in Greater Manchester. And we think it was the right decision because it's helping change uh, young people's lives. But, but elsewhere, people may prioritise other things, but that's fine because that's their their, their right, that should be their right to be able mm-hmm. uh, to do that. We've lived in a London-centric country where Westminster has tried to impose its will on everywhere and it hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. Um, it's left us with a very, very uneven country that the gov- even the government admits now is in need of levelling up. Well, you can't just level people up from hundreds of miles away but in London by sort of throwing some money at them. You level people up by giving them more power to do more for themselves. Um, you know, by empowering people is the best way to level them up. So I would absolutely say that all parts of England should have the ability to have more devolution. A mayor, if they want one, uh, that is the way we'll, we will get a more, uh, more balanced, more equal country than the one we've currently got.
0: One of the concerns around the idea of devolution is the idea around accountability for officials like like yourself, as these metro mayors. And something people suggest is a regional assembly like that in in London, that is an additional level of representation for people that also holds the mayor to account. So, uh, do do you think areas with metro mayors should have these extra levels? of representation in regional assemblies? Or do you think that would just be an unnecessary level of bureaucracy?
2: I think that's an unnecessary layer. And in fact, if you go back almost 20 years, the idea of regional assemblies was rejected in a referendum in the Northeast. So city region devolution of the kind that I'm involved in is a, is a different way of, of, of making things work. And actually I think it's a leaner and more coherent way so the Greater Manchester Combined Authority, compared to the Greater London Authority, mm-hmm. the members of the GMCA are the ten councils, whereas in London, you have a GLA, which is separately elected people, and then thirty or so councils that are not necessarily connected to that GLA. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very confusing picture, to be honest. I think ours is a is a is a more um, uh, more logical uh, system. Because it means that you know, at the Greater Manchester level, if we all agree with our ten councils, we can all move in the same in the same direction. And I don't think there's any accountability deficit here. You know, I am accountable uh, to the um, 2.8 million people of Greater Manchester. I go about my job in that way. I'm, I'm out and about. People can talk to me. They can email me, and they ultimately can vote me out if they if they don't think I'm doing the right the right things. So. I don't see any loss, any lack of accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this model is beginning to work, and I think the votes in the mayoral elections in May it demonstrated that it's beginning to work. Because um, in some of the big cities, there was a, quite a big endorsement of the um, of the sitting mayors, and I think that shows that the public can see the value of of what these roles bring.
0: Okay, I'd I'd like to finish by just asking you one more question, and that's about the situation in the. Labour Party. We've seen the parties had a, a few electoral setbacks in the last couple of years. Is Keir Starmer the person to turn Labour's fortunes around?
2: Yes, he's the leader of the Labour Party. He has come in in very difficult circumstances, um, but but absolutely he, he is the person that, that can turn Labour's fortunes around because I think he represents the challenge to Boris Johnson that Boris Johnson needs in that we have a prime minister who um, uh, talk, talk of accountability doesn't like being held to account, um, and I think what what Keir offers is the complete opposite. You know, integrity, um, clarity, um, uh, a, a very impressive track record in terms of his own his own public service. So yes, is the answer. He's not had the chance to do that yet because of the exceptional times of the pandemic that we've been living through. But I think the. the the way is clear now for Keir to put his stamp on things, to set out his stall, as I'm sure he'll do at the Labour Party conference uh, that's coming up. And um, and as I say, I think he he will increasingly be seen as what this country needs compared to the chaotic, um, sleazy uh, style of government that that has increasingly become apparent to people over the course of this year.
0: Okay. And then my my very last question is that you... You've made no secret of the fact that you would be interested in another attempt at taking the Labour leadership. Would you consider a return to Westminster and standing for the leadership?
2: Not anytime soon. I'm just yeah. trying to answer this question honestly because mm-hmm. I've been asked it a lot. So, no, not anytime soon. Uh, I've said to the people of Greater Manchester, I will serve a full second term, and I absolutely stand by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you no, know, you know, I'm not an MP. Mm-hmm. I can't be the leader of the Labour Party because mm-hmm. you have to be an MP. Uh, to to do that, so it, it is not something that um, um, is is a sort of a, a possibility uh, in the immediate in the immediate future. What I am not going to do is rule out that one day I may return uh, to Westminster later down the line. Um, but you know, at this point in time, it's not where my focus is. To have what I consider to be the best job in British politics, Manchester is without doubt the best city uh, in the UK, the coolest city. It's got Everything that, that London has got and more, um, and I'm just really privileged to do the job that I that I do, and I consider it to be a bigger um, priority to build up this emerging thing called English devolution,
0: yeah.
2: um, rather than simply kind of rush back to Westminster as mm-hmm. though that's the only show in town. It's not the only show in town. The thing we need to do to make this country work better is give the, the regions of England, the cities of England, a much stronger presence, a much more powerful voice than they've previously had. And that's what I'm currently working on, uh, on doing. And if I was ever to return to Westminster, it would be to continue that, that work of rewiring Britain from, from a national level, because we're in the position that we're in with everything that we've been through in recent times with Brexit and everything else, because the country clearly... Most people don't feel that the country mm-hmm. works for them. Too many people live in a town that feels forgotten and left behind. And we really need to change things to to make this country work for everybody. So I think what we're doing here in Greater Manchester is part of that. But if if I'm ever to return to Westminster, it would be to to sort of put put further rocket boosters on that approach to break the kind of London-centric nature Mm -hmm. of, of, of Britain.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Andy Burnham, pleasure to have you on the show. You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about.